Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the ED ECMO podcast. This is Joe Belezzo. Today, we sit down with Dr. Graham Nickel for ED ECMO podcast episode 18. We're going to talk about remote ischemic conditioning. Graham Nickel is a veritable all-star in the world of resuscitation. If you don't know who Graham Nickel is, then get your head out of the sand. You can't open a resuscitation journal or read a resuscitation paper without Graham's work getting cited. Graham is a full professor at the University of Washington in Seattle. He has a long list of accolades. Graham was the co-founder and co-director of the Resuscitation Science Symposium at the American Heart Association, which Zach and I just got back from a few weeks ago. He's a National Institute of Health reviewer and grantee. He's the chair of epidemiology panel for the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. He's the co-principal investigator of the Resuscitation Outcomes Consortium, the Rock Trials. He's co-investigator of the Australian Resuscitation Outcomes Consortium and principal investigator of the Cascade Heart Rescue Project. This guy is big time. Graham's also a good friend of ours. And Graham came down to San Diego from Washington, came to Sharp Memorial, and gave us a fantastic talk on targeted temperature management and remote ischemic conditioning. And in just a minute, we'll get on to what that is. What is remote ischemic conditioning? But before we get there, I have a couple of announcements. First. April 14th to 16th, 2015, is CastleFest. This is the big ultrasound conference put on by our friends Mike and Matt from the Ultrasound Podcast. This one is a big deal, but unfortunately, friends, it is sold out. However, hop on over to our website. We'll have the link to the registration page, and you can put yourself on the waiting list. Next, Critical Care Ultrasound in Montreal. This is May 1st to May 3rd, 2015, put on by our good friend, Phil Rolla. Always a good conference and has most of our ultrasound friends there. Next, Smack Chicago, social media and critical care, and this is the big boy. June 23rd to June 26th, 2015, three-day conference, has an all-star lineup of speakers. Rich Levitan, Cliff Reed, John Hines, Scott Weingart, Amal Matu, Joe Lex, Simon Carley, Anand Swami Nathan, Andy Slos, Rob Orman, Steve Smith, Chris Nixon, Dave Newman, Ashley Shreves, and many, many more. And that's just day number one. Next, a little bit of a teaser. February 2016. Reanimate San Diego. That's right. Shiner, myself, and Weingart are putting on a conference teaching you how to do ED ECMO. We've set up a lecture hall, sim labs, and maybe even an animal lab. This is going to rock. Now, enough on that stuff. Let's get to the podcast. Let's welcome Dr. Graham Nickel. All 
All right, I'm here with Graham Nickel and Joe Belezzo, and we just listened to Graham talk about the most interesting stuff, and we wanted to kind of synthesize this, put it into a little podcast so the listeners can understand the experience we just had. So Graham, how you doing, Graham? Great. So Graham is out of Seattle. He is a part of the AHA. He's a part of the Resuscitation Science Symposium and uh, published all over the place. And Graham came and talked to us about a couple things. One was hypothermia, and one was something that we're going to mention right now. But before we get into that, Graham, we have a problem. Joe and I have a problem with our ECMO patients, and that is that we get them back. We put them on the pump. We get their blood pressure. Their blood pressure comes back beautiful. It's like 120 over 80. Their pulse is down. Sometimes they're even moving. And then within an hour or two after that, we start getting this hypotension. We start having to start them on pressors. We're dumping fluids into them, even though we know it's probably going into their lung. And I don't know what to do about it. So, Graham, can you speak to that and maybe tell us what's going on with that? Well, I think what's going on is that you've restored flow, which is obviously important, uh, but when you restore flow, a reperfusion injury occurs, and the, the uh, blood cells and the endothelium release all sorts of inflammatory molecules. Some of them are cytokines, some of them are other things. Sometimes people might just call them evil humors, uh, but they circulate throughout the body and cause severe and prolonged myocardial dysfunction. Okay, so and uh, and so we have this. It's like five days, and then finally, you know, on day five or six, their EF, which has been in abysmal, like in the fifteen percent range, twenty percent range, all of a sudden shoots up to forty-five percent, fifty percent, and all of a sudden we're like, whoa, maybe this patient's going to survive. What what happens there? Well, that's about when you would expect the inflammatory molecules and the cytokines to go away, and so there's no longer myocardial suppression. So today you talked to us about something called remote ischemic conditioning. How does that play a role in what we're talking about right here? Uh, well, a good question. Remote ischemic conditioning is the concept of putting a cuff on someone's thigh or arm, inflating the cuff above systolic pressure. I usually do it to 200 millimeters of mercury. Uh, for five minutes, deflating for five, and then repeat three or four times. If you're going to do it with a manual cuff, you need to use a Kelly on the, on the uh, cuff so that the air doesn't bleed out of the bladder. But it's easy to do. It's simple. And in animal models, it appears to have a profound effect on reperfusion injury. Wow. Okay. So we're talking about the same sort of idea. So the same thing that happens in our ECMO patients, in our post-cardiac arrest patients, we can potentially mitigate by voodoo. Uh, it sounds like voodoo. Uh, it also sounds uncomfortable, but I've done it on myself a bunch of times. It, it's a little uncomfortable. It's not painful. Uh, in animal models of myocardial infarction, it reduces infarct size by 70%. In uh, three randomized trials of patients who've had heart attack, it reduces infarct size. Uh, and in uh, another animal model, it's... Uh, it reduces ventricular remodeling when it's applied daily for 28 days after infarction. I think it has a profound impact on uh, reducing the cellular damage that uh, occurs or is triggered at the time that you restore flow. I think it might be beneficial to your ECMO patients. Okay, so we're talking about a lot of animal data. We're talking about, and, and, and we'll put in the show notes the citations to these articles that Graham is referencing. But as of right now, uh, we'll take you at your word. 
animal studies have shown decreased infarct size if you you if you blow up a blood pressure cuff before you get the infarct. Animal studies have shown decreased in, infarct size if you do it before or at the time of restoration of flow. Animal studies have also shown uh, beneficial effects on ventricular remodeling when it is applied every day for 28 days after infarction. But there are three randomized trials in humans uh, all with heart attack, all of which show that remote ischemic conditioning reduces infarct size. The, the most impressive one is the uh, trial from Denmark led by Botker. It was published in Lancet. They showed decreased uh, infarct size, and then they followed the patients forward out to three and a half years and reported their results in the European Heart Journal last year. And they showed a more than 50% reduction in mortality out at three years. I think that is a profound impact for something which is simple and inexpensive and appears to have no adverse events. I think it's something we should be considering for all our patients with ischemia reperfusion injury, whether cardiac arrest, heart attack, stroke, or patients who've been on ECMO. Okay, so as of right now, I have an ECMO patient and um, they're already out of their arrest phase. Do I do this now or what do you think? Do we need more data? Uh, well, I think that's it's not an approved indication by the FDA, but I think it would be reasonable based on looking at all the randomized trials in humans and the animal studies for you to decide whether you want to apply something which is simple and inexpensive and uh, may solve the problem you have with prolonged hemodynamic instability after ECMO. Very cool. So, Grant, this is Joe Belezzo here. So, um, how soon? So, your cardiac arrest patient comes in, and we're putting lines in and getting ready to put them on ECMO. Does it make a difference how fast you do this, how early in the resuscitation you do this, or do you just need to do it before flow is, uh, flow is resumed? That's a good question. I, I don't think we know the answer to that. I, I think it should, if you decide to do this, it should not be done at the expense of other things that, that uh, are important. Uh, but I think it is a reasonable thing for you to consider as quickly as you can. It makes sense that the sooner you apply it, the better the patient will be. But I don't think we really know the answer to that. And just thinking from a downside, what, what would be the potential damage to someone if we blow a blood pressure cuff up for five minutes? Well, uh, in, the, in the three randomized trials in heart attack patients uh, that have been reported, uh, as well as in the multiple other uh, randomized trials in patients undergoing elective PCI or bypass surgery, there have been no adverse events reported that have been attributed to this remote ischemic conditioning. Yeah, so Graham, in your talk today, and I wanted the listeners to hear some of this, can you just describe briefly how uh, remote ischemic conditioning works and why it works? Sure, because that's a good question because it sounds like a crazy concept or as Zach said, it sounds a little bit like, like voodoo. Uh, we know that uh, it triggers release of a protective protein uh, in the limb, which then circulates to the heart, and that appears to block opening of the mitochondrial permeability transition pore, which is uh, part of the final common pathway of ischemia reperfusion injury in the heart as well as uh, in the brain. Okay, everyone, Belezo here. I wanted to cut in real quick and do a quick recap of what Graham's talked about so far. So, Graham's talked to us about a therapy called remote ischemic conditioning and its role in the prevention of ischemia reperfusion injury resulting from cardiac arrest. So, is this voodoo or is this, is this real physiology? And uh, we'll get to that. But I wanted to establish a few definitions. 
First of all, we all know, I think, most of the people who are listening to this podcast are going to have a pretty good handle on what ischemia reperfusion injury is. But uh, just for a recap, prolonged ischemia to the brain or heart often occur after a circulatory arrest. And while immediate CPR minimizes this phenomenon, most of our patients don't get immediate CPR. Most of our patients have a more of a, of a prolonged no-flow state. CPR reintroduces blood flow and oxygen to the previously ischemic tissues. And this hyperoxic reperfusion is known to be one of the main contributors to infarct size in both the heart and the brain and is the main causative issue with poor neurologic outcomes after cardiac arrest. But now there's this. Now there's this thing of ischemic conditioning. So what is ischemic conditioning? It's the purposeful application of ischemia and reperfusion off and on to the tissues. And there are, in the literature, there are three kinds of ischemic conditioning. First, there's preconditioning, which is applying the therapy before the circulatory arrest. Now, obviously not an option in our ERs where we're dealing with arresting patients because we don't know they're going to arrest. These are patients who are getting elective percutaneous coronary intervention procedures and are getting preconditioned, ischemic preconditioning. Next would be ischemic periconditioning, and this is applying the therapy during the circulatory arrest or during the PCI. And then thirdly, there's ischemic postconditioning, which is applying the therapy after circulatory arrest. And in the emergency department, this is the type of conditioning that we're interested in. So there are two main ways of getting the conditioning, getting the therapy to the brain and the heart. First, there's targeted ischemic conditioning. And what that means is applying the ischemic conditioning directly to the specific organ, which in this case are primarily the heart and the brain. And this can be done in two ways. First would be systemic ischemic conditioning, which would be basically stopping circulatory flow, which will have obviously decreased circulation to all of the organs and of course as well to the brain and to the heart. And in a pig model of cardiac arrest, Demetrius Yiannopoulos and Keith Lurie out of Minnesota are doing studies where they're applying brief periods of ischemic post-conditioning via stutter CPR. So they've got a pig that they put into arrest and they wait for a prolonged period of time, uh, somewhere upwards of 10 to 15 to 20 minutes. I think their main study, uh, study model is a 15-minute model. And in those models, they then start CPR and then purposely start three to four cycles of 20 seconds each of CPR with 20-second pauses. In other words, they are purposely stopping CPR for 20 seconds at a time, times three or four times, and finding a significant improvement in outcomes in their pig models. And if you want more on that, come on over to the show notes and check out edecmo.org 18, and you can check out Weingart's interview with Drs. Yiannopoulos and Lurie on MCRIT podcast episode 69. We have the links in the show notes. So there, first, under the targeted ischemic conditioning, we first have systemic conditioning where we stop flow through the whole body on purpose. And then we have local conditioning. Local conditioning is directly applying ischemia directly to that organ. And what they do is after restoration of vessel patency, in other words, they pass the wire and blow up the balloon and now they have reperfusion of the vessel. And then they purposely reinflate the balloon for one-minute periods of time. In other words, they're re-occluding the coronary vessel on purpose, creating targeted post-ischemic conditioning, okay? And then the last 
part of this is remote ischemic conditioning, right? So we've talked about ischemic conditioning in terms of systemic conditioning where you basically stop chest compressions. We've talked about conditioning where you can purposely occlude a coronary vessel after you've opened it up. And now we're talking about remote ischemic conditioning. And this is application of ischemic conditioning to a remote area of the body, in other words, a limb, in order to reduce the degree of injury to the heart and brain that results from the cardiac arrest, which is the ischemia, followed by the reperfusion, which is the chest compressions, the return of spontaneous circulation, or in our case, ECMO. So by applying the remote ischemia reperfusion by using a blood pressure cuff, we're getting some benefit from this therapy. And so what does that mean? That means that somehow there is some positive humor that's being sent from the ischemic limb to the brain and the heart, right? And I've got a pretty good diagram in the show notes at edecmo.org slash 18. But it's believed, um, and let's just do the simple explanation for this would be, you blow up a blood pressure cuff on the arm and you leave it on for five minutes and then you take it down. And in doing that, you uh, induce the production of these good humors or these proteins that then go to the heart and have a protective effect. And now I've, I've put the explanation, the physiologic description of what's actually happening at the molecular level on the show notes. As Graham has pointed out, a protective protein is produced during the ischemia reperfusion period that blocks opening of the mitochondrial permeability transition pore, which is the final common pathway of ischemia reperfusion. So there you go. And then how's it done? Well, Graham recommends blowing up a blood pressure cuff. And if you're using a manual cuff, you got to use a Kelly clamp on the tubing or else the bladder is going to leak out. You're not going to get a full five minutes of ischemia. But you blow it up for five minutes above the systolic pressure, usually about 20 points above the systolic pressure. And Graham recommends about 200 millimeters of mercury. Leave it up for five minutes and then deflate it. And repeat that cycle three to four times and you're done. The evidence will be put in the show notes, uh, so hop on over again to edecmo.org 18 and check those out. And now, moving on to a related topic, another topic that involves the mitochondrion, Graham Nickel describes why he thinks propofol might be harmful. So Graham, you said something else today that blew my mind, like never heard it before. Um, and that is propofol and its effect on the mitochondrium and potentially problematic in cardiac arrest. What is your belief there? Uh, my belief is that propofol is harmful. And we know that reperfusion injury occurs in part through opening the mitochondrial permeability transition pore. We know that propofol acts on uh, intracellular channels and, and appears to uh, act on mitochondria as well. Uh, and we know from a small randomized trial in patients undergoing bypass that remote ischemic conditioning, which uh, works via the same sort of mechanism as hypothermia, uh, is beneficial in bypass patients except when we give it with propofol. And my worry is that propofol is easy for us to give. We don't need to think about it, but I think it is blocking the beneficial effects of the other things we do. We give to our patients who have been resuscitated from cardiac arrest. Wow. So right now patient comes in, arrests, we now get ROSC, uh, and they are, I guess we'd have to have ROMF2, so they have neurologic function return. What sedative are you giving? We're just using midazolam and fentanyl. Wow, so this is possibly a game changer for me, right? 
propofol. I use propofol all the time, primarily for sedation after post-arrest. And I don't know, if, if propofol really does affect the intracellular channels and affects mitochondria adversely, at least in this subset of these super sick patients, maybe it's best to reach for an alternative sedative than propofol. All right, so all good stuff. I'm thinking um, there's just so much that Graham talked about. He mentioned talked about targeted temperature management. He talked to us about um, sort of how he runs his arrests up at in Seattle and just, just great info today. So thank you for coming and talking to us. My pleasure. Anything else, Joe? No, no, again, Graham, fantastic talk today. And really, thank you very much for coming down. This has been a real treat for us. Thanks so much. Wow. So thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the ED ECMO podcast. This was episode 18, Remote Ischemic Conditioning with Graham Nickel. Until next time, on behalf of Graham Nickel, Scott Weingart, Zach Shiner, this is Joe Belezzo, and we are signing out. Mm-hmm.